Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat. A busy December started with a disappointing defeat at Old Trafford on Thursday night, but there is a chance to get back on the horse with a trip to Everton on Monday. I'm Mark Manbryans from PA Media and I'm joined today by Nick Ames of The Guardian and the Evening Standard's Simon Collins. We will cast our collective eye over what went wrong against United and reasons for optimism heading to Goodison Park. We also have a little update on the Arsenal Beat Fantasy Premier League. Simon, you made the trip up north. In fact, you're still there now as we're recording this. Um, you called it a missed opportunity for Arsenal. How, how so? Yeah, I, I feel it in the sense that I can't remember many times Arsenal coming to Old Trafford and finding a United team in this in this situation. I, I don't feel it's a missed opportunity in the sense that, you know, you're playing a team who's in the bottom half of the table. I more feel like, it's very rare you'd come to Old Trafford and find them where there are teams sort of in a state of flux. You know, in limbo, there were Ranjik's in the stand. He's not started yet. It was Carrick's last game. Haven't really got the usual identity and aura that a Man United team have. And when Arsenal started the game so well on the, on the front foot, got the goal in bizarre circumstances, it just felt like there was an opportunity for them to really have a go and get, get a statement win and, whether they subconsciously dropped off, whether that was the plan, I didn't feel like they grasped the opportunity and it could have been a different result for me. I'm currently in Saudi Arabia, so I watched the game on a stream with a bottle of Budweiser Zero, um, which is a, a thrilling way to see a five-goal game. But, but Nick, we can't really call it one of those five-goal classics, really, can we? It felt like two teams who still have light years to go to be close to, to those best teams in the Premier League. Scratchy stuff, wasn't it? And we've kind of seen seen to say that whenever these teams have met in, in the last four or five years, really, a, a couple of meetings, maybe notwithstanding. Scratchy, no one really assumed control for a conservative period in the game. Arsenal tried, but I think we saw on a number of occasions what a work in progress that they are. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting move, probably for you, a very interesting move for, for El Nenny to, um, to, um, to, to, um, to start in midfield. That, that definitely caused quite a lot of pre-match conjecture. I think, I think a couple of things about that. I, I don't think he was, he didn't seem to me anyway to be anywhere near the worst performer on the pitch. And he got a, a sneaky assist, didn't he? Um, but also, <laughs> it, 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 if, we're, um, if we're talking about midfield control and, you know, getting effort on the ball and, keeping a cool head in a game, which maybe Arsenal didn't do for long enough periods. He's he's probably pretty much the nearest they have got alongside Thomas Party if Sambi Lakonga cannot cannot play week in, week out. And we've got to remember that Lakonga is, what, 22, 23 years old, just come into the Premier League from Belgium, very different ball game. And I think, um, I, I, and as I had to say afterwards, Onyeni had a very good game at Old Trafford last year. So... I, I can see why that decision was made, even if it didn't didn't wholly pay off. But it did show that resources are pretty scant in that department. With, with Shaka yet to come back and an Afcon coming up, when Elneny and Thomas Party um, Omicron variants pending will not be about. Um, but to your original point, yeah, scratchy stuff. These teams both on a level way below where they historically should be. And I think, as as Simon said missed opportunity not necessarily a bad thing to lose that game in some ways because I think we've got a quite a realistic picture after the last three games of where Arsenal are at I, I think 
they can see off the lesser opponents with a fair minimum of fuss at home and 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 hopefully away. But there's clearly a problem coming up up against teams where historically you would see it as a, a heavyweight clash. And I expect that, to be honest, to continue over the course of this season. I think it's worth flagging that you know Manchester United have, have had their own obvious issues of late that have led to a manager being sacked, but. Everyone knew last night was Michael Carrick's last game in temporary charge. We didn't know at the time he was then going to leave the club completely, but it was his only game of the three that was in front of his home fans. It's against a, a traditional rival. You've got players like Ronaldo that are being questioned. So it felt like a night when they they had to turn up, United had to turn up. I think that kind of has almost been forgotten in the, in the narrative of Arsenal not showing up. I think, again, you were spot on. El Nene played purely because him and Partey were it's the best either of them have ever played, arguably, for Arsenal in that the corresponding fixture last year. So whether you just match up with them again, I think the whole midfield battle, I tweeted about it and then had to apologise because I thought Fred in the first half for Manchester United was appalling. But then he seemed to get a grasp on the game, whereas El Nene and Partey couldn't do that. Um, we faced criticism in the past, in, in the past few hours, in fact, for giving Mikel Arteta a bit of an easy ride, especially after he provided you guys with free pastry at the, uh, pre- uh, the training ground the other day. But um, this was another game where an Arsenal side took the lead and were then seemingly happy to sit on it. I think that is OK if it works. But Simon, it must be infuriating for the fans if it doesn't work. And how much blame, therefore, do you think needs pinning on the manager for what happened last night? Yeah, but I mean, I, I tweeted something about I didn't feel like it was Arteta's plan to, um, you know, take the lead and sit on it. And that was largely born out of the fact you could see him sort of motioning around soon after Arsenal taking the lead, you know, telling the defence to get out and push up. Um, you know, so, I, and, and I think people took that as me absolving Arteta of any blame, which I don't think is the case. I think it's, I think it's a mixture of both. And as, as, as often with these things, it's, it's never, it's very rarely black and white. It's a, it's a bit more grey. And I think part of it is, you know, the players, perhaps understandably, when you go, you know, and play in a big game and you take the lead, you, you want to consolidate what you have. And, I mean, you know, we've seen it watching England in big finals, big semi-finals that you argue they almost score too early and they sort of try and persevere what what they've got. And I think part of that responsibility is for Arteta to change the mindset of the players. He needs to, you know, drill into them that you can't just sit and take a 1-0 lead. And, you know, after the Crystal Palace game, he spoke about having the handbrake off and then the next game against Aston Villa, they came flying out and they didn't for the whole game let off. I think now in bigger games, they need to understand that just because it's a bigger team, if you're in the ascendancy, you've got to go for it and you've got to take the win. And Arteta afterwards spoke about it and he, he didn't agree with the suggestion that Arsenal you know, played with the handbrake on. Instead, he sort of said that their possession got sloppy, uh, they didn't defend the box well enough. That might be the case. That my opinion was that I kind of felt like they sort of dropped off it, and I think at the moment that is a sort of worrying trend with the Arteta teams that they very rarely, you know, go for the juggler. I've spoken about it in the past. If if they were a boxer, they win most of their fights or points. They don't really knock teams out, and I, and I still feel like that is the step they've got to take if they they really want to be a team that's you know in that top four top four spot. It's crucial at this point to interject as, as someone jealous as I am, just to ask you both what the pastries were like. Did we have pan of chocolate, pan of raisin, were there danishes, or was it just, you know, your basic croissant? What, what did we look at on the, on the pastry platter, Nick? 
Yeah, so if I remember rightly, and Simon will will correct me, I think there was a couple of varieties of fairly hefty croissants. And then interestingly, there were Danish pastries of a couple of sorts. There was a red fruit and I think like an apple one, but they were like chopped up into sort of in, into little bite-sized morsels. So it was it was quite easy just to saunter past and pluck one here and there like that so um no i mean we've we've been thoroughly bought off now we've we've done drunk the kool-aid i've i've i hear he's signing a 10-year contract tomorrow actually so um couldn't be any more delighted um no it, it was nice to nice nice touch nice touch and um nice nice also to uh to have that that bit of an interaction in a press conference at last yeah i'm I mean, disappointed that no one I was just disappointed that no one um, took the opportunity to weave in any sort of narrative about Arsenal being flaky or soft centre or undercooked. But that was the only disappointment I had from it. But um, as Nick says, yeah, it was just, I mean, it was just a nice sort of bit of personal touch from from the club, really, given we've, you know, had these Zoom press conferences that get pretty stale after a while. I think for fans as well watching it, it's, it's not really the same. So, you know, fair play to them for doing that. Yeah, I mean, party poppers aside, lads, um, being back in the room, I just Nick, I'll come to you first. Can, can you just explain to, to, to the listeners the, the, just the difference between being able to be in the room with a manager or in another way, in other cases, it's players, isn't it? But being in a room and being able to interact with the manager when you're trying to get a line or something, how much easier that is and personable that is when you're not, you know, in a Zoom room with 50 other people? Well, it just feels that you're looking at another human being and talking to them rather than using a filter and medium of a screen. You know, eye contact when you make it is totally unambiguous. Um, body language is easier, I think, to interpret. Um, and it's it's just warmer and it's a bit more of a back and forth. It flows that little bit more easily. And I think, you know, we, um, we still... I think the um, football got suspended in, in 2020 only, um, I don't think it was even three months after Arteta took over, was it? So, so we haven't really um, had that, um, have that chance to establish that regular back and forth with him yet in, in this capacity of media and, and manager. So I think it should get a lot better over time as well and hopefully lead to more interesting conversations and, 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 and quotes and inverted commas content for 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 readers to to enjoy as well and i definitely felt that although i don't i, I don't think on 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 wednesday anything earth shattering came out of it it did just feel that a bit more natural and that and that bit more personable and definitely in this job um that that means so much and simon to move it away just quickly from arsenal which i know is sacrosanct to the podcast but i know you went to um claudio ranieri's unveiling at watford and it's it's managers like that. Obviously, we, Nick mentioned there, we haven't really got to see Arteta that many times in person. But when you've got a manager like Claudio Ranieri and all that charisma, it's, it's so much better for us and for you know, TV cameras and for fans, therefore, to see them in action up close and personal, isn't it? Rather than hiding behind a Zoom camera. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And I think Ranieri, he's sort of luckily for him coming in at a time when press conference restrictions has enabled him to do most of them in person. And I've gone to nearly all of them other than the Man City one this week. And he is, yeah, he's much more just charismatic, charming when he's there in person. You'll have, some, you know, just small little moments before the press conference has started or afterwards where you can just sort of interact. And I think the most basic thing is that it's the same as in normal life. You know, every <laughs> every conversation and every 
event you go to in normal life is better in person. There's a reason why we do things like that. Like, you know, people don't choose to video call people. It's done as a as a necessity. So it's it's the same as in any walk of life. Things are better done face to face. And um, I think if you spoke to any of the Premier League managers, I think they would all prefer doing it face to face and being able to actually see the people that they're, they're speaking to and are reporting on them every week. What did Claudio bake you? <laughs> Nothing baked from Claudio, but uh, and he still hasn't kept a clean sheet at Watford, so his players haven't had a meal yet. But if uh, if that goes ahead, I'm going to hope and try and waggle an invite to it. I think. I think you say as well. Like we have to invite Arteta to our next pub quiz, won't we? Given that they're no longer on Zoom as well. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those, isn't it? I think fans probably don't really appreciate it I, and that's not their fault because it, it's the, it's knowing the complexities of a, of a press conference but hopefully over time we can build that there's a rapport built up with Arteta and that's not to say suddenly we, again we're giving him an easy ride and we're all on the bandwagon but those interactions you can work on themes you know it just it just really helps the journalists and therefore helps the fans get more that they want to know that they want to read and that they want to see um Nick, one, one last one on this for you, from, from me to you. Do you think it will take Arteta a little bit of time to, to readjust to that? He's, he's not been a manager used to doing press conferences surrounded by people. And I think he became quite guarded in the end on Zoom press conferences, didn't he? Didn't he? So will he take a bit of cracking, do you think? Yeah, look, he's, he's been a lot more, more guarded as a manager than he was as a player. Like I, I knew him back then, as, as I think we all did, but and, and had... Had had some really deep, insightful conversations with him um, from from his direction, anyway, um, about all all kinds of footballing topics back then. Um, whereas now, yeah, I think the wall's gone up a bit. I think I think the Zoom era definitely hasn't helped, but I do think, as as we've all said there, just having that regular back and forth, that bit of warmth, you you probably gain a bit of trust that way, don't you? You you trust people more in person than online, which is not to say that I'm doubting either of you today, but, um, <laughs> but you do get that more. And I think um, I've, I think it'll improve because I think Arteta is, is probably a, a deeper and more insightful and more nuanced character than we have got to see over the last couple of years. Well, we'll, just, we'll, we'll get proof of that when we do our first ever in-person guest Guna and you're not allowed to use Google to, uh, to get the answers, Nick. Last night's game also brought to a close game week 14 in the Fantasy Premier League and our 30-strong Arsenal beat league is taking shape. Um, David McNamara still leads the way with an impressive 961 points with Nazir Hashim second on 928 and Abdi D third on 905, having leapfrogged our very own Simon Collings, who is the highest of our panellists by country mile, to be fair, in fourth spot on 902 and Daniel Currier rounding out the top five. Uh, chaps, before we move on as well to look at Everton, just a quick reminder to listeners that Arsenal played Chelsea in the Women's FA Cup final on Sunday and our latest episode with Molly, Art and Amy previewing the Wembley clash, including our first ever women's guest, Aguna, is available now, so do check that out. Right, Nick, Everton. The perfect team to face at the moment or a wounded animal almost desperate for a result after what was a fairly pitiful derby display? 
It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, um, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal roll on from Manchester United, who've been in crisis, and it was a big opportunity to, to Everton, who, um, I mean, we still we have a night, the knives are absolutely out, aren't they? And it's, it's been... Um, it's been mixed hunting ground, hasn't it? Goodison Park for Arsenal. There have been some some pretty grim ones, and then there've been, uh, I think, last season they lost in they two one, but I think there was a, a big five two win a couple of years before that. So it's 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 not one where there's a, a, a reliably good or bad record. I felt, I think it's a massive opportunity this though. Like Everton, Everton are in all kinds of trouble at the moment. They they really their signings from previous summers just haven't really worked. They've got, you know, their centre forward, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, has, has not been fit. They really scraped the bargain bucket for a lot of what they did in, in the summer. Rafa Benitez has found it very hard to, in, to get them playing consistently with a certain shape and style. And it all seems very, very flat. And the fans, if Arsenal can, can get that a bit of control and get a grip on that game early on and get the early goal like they did last night, build on it the fans at Goodison will not be very forgiving to their team so I I just think when you look at it like that it's set up for Arsenal to get the sort of handy away win against a decent name that they maybe don't get enough of on the other hand you, you could say yeah it's the kind of one that is a massive banana skin but I I, I think Arsenal need Arsenal need a result at Goodison I think after this so I, I think it would calm a few people who might overreact from what happened last night I think Everton are totally there to be picked off. And I want to see a few people step up maybe who who didn't last night. You know, nothing, nothing really stuck to Aubameyang, did it? And that is a problem for me at the moment. It, it might be, if, if we're looking around the individual personnel, the biggest problem at the moment. And I think Arteta might have a decision to make over in an away game. Do I, do I, do I stick Lacazette up there and, you know, Try and bring others into the game through him. Is Obama Young earning his place at the moment? It's a it's it's a question. I don't have the answer. He's doing stuff off the ball, but not much on it. Um, so yeah, big opportunity. Um, but they've got to take it and with a couple of nice winnable games after that as well, get back on the on the horse, really. It's a perfect segue, really, Nick, because my next question was to both it. Well, I've got a few for both of you. I'll start with Simon. There are a few question marks emerging over Arteta's team selection, which we didn't have previously before the international break. It was a settled team. Everyone was quite happy. You could almost, we could almost name the team. I know you have to do it every time your match previews. It became quite an easy job for you, didn't it? But let's start at the back. Everton away. Tavares or Tierney for you? Um, for me, I think, I think he's, I would start Tierney. I would have started him at uh, Old Trafford and, Possibly would have started against Newcastle. Actually, I sort of got the Newcastle starting Nuno to you know, put that Anfield game to bed. Um, I mean, I like I like Nuno. I think he's he's a good player. He's he still for me is very raw in some of his decision making. I think athletically he's fantastic. I think he has moments where really causes problems, but I still think you know big game experience, which is something he needs to develop. Obviously, isn't quite there and. and He's a fine backup. He's serviceable. He's putting a bit of pressure on Tierney. But for me, this is no question that Kieran Tierney is, is the best left back at the club and you need to play your best player. So I would be, I'd be really shocked if Tierney doesn't start against Everton. He hasn't even come on the pitch since his national break. But for him to not, if it goes, you know, another game in a row, I think you could just about, 
justify starting Nuno um, last night because he did play well against Newcastle. But I think now I'll be very surprised if Tierney doesn't doesn't come back in. I mean, you've chucked some absolute shade at Ted Klasnach there, saying that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think I don't know, and this is just speculation from my part. I do wonder if there is a a deeper rooted concern about Tierney's long term fitness from Arsenal at the moment. They almost you think now back to his injuries, he just seems to get niggling issues every so often, doesn't he? I wonder if they're just giving him time to get that absolutely right before they chuck him back in and and risk them being another two or three weeks out here and there. So it would be an interesting one. Nick, it was a surprise, I'll be honest, even for me to see El Nene start at Old Trafford, but do we expect Lekonga to return at Goodison? I think Lekonga can, um, comes back for that because they'll be doing they'll be doing a bit less of a of a kind of preventing job and they'll be wanting to really seize that game, as as I say, against a team that's currently pretty much on on its knees. I I, I think Lekonga will come back in. He's he just he's he's a lovely footballer, Lekonga, and we've always spoken about him on here before. He plays um, with his heads up. He he scans, as I think people say today. You know, he looks around, knows where the ball is going to go before he receives it. It's all that bit more fluid and that bit more natural. So while while El Nenny, I, I I I take my hat off to his um standing display last night. I think um I think Lekonga is very much the man for a game when you expect Arsenal to really want to assert themselves and preferably go for the throw in that first half because Everton will be reading. Well, given how much break you've given to El Nene today, mate, we can guarantee you'll be winning the next guest, the Guna. Um, finally, chaps, I'll put, I'll, I'll put this to both of you. And Nick, you touched on it. Does Aubameyang, arguably, does he need a rest? You know, Lacazette had a decent spell in the side albeit playing slightly deeper, but the captain has hit a poor and a four and, and could he do with a break, do you think, Simon? Yeah, that's going to be another interesting section. I think this will this will be one of the most interesting team selections that we've had from Arteta for a while because, as you say, we could sort of just reel off the team. I think with Aubameyang, I, I kind of feel like at the, his, his best games have only really been when Lacazette's in the team. I just don't... I'm not sure whether he's really fitting when Odegaard uh, is playing as the number 10 and, and longer term I just don't think the way this team is developing and the way it's going under Arteta I don't think tactically really suits what they're trying to do I think when you know that first period of Arteta's reign where Aubameyang was brilliant the team was sort of basically built around him you know you played that 3-4-3 the idea was to get the ball down the left in behind Aubameyang cuts in now it doesn't really feel like it's sort of built around him um, they just don't feel tactically really suits. So I would, I think Arteta will stick by him for the Everton game for now. The way he spoke in that press conference the other day was, you know, he was highlighting things how pressing and working off the ball and what he does for the team is just as important as, as the goals. Um, but I think he would be justified to to drop him and play Lacazette. It's just a, it's a very big call to do ahead of what is going to be an absolutely you know, frantic Christmas period to drop your captain um, and play someone else there. But on performances, I think he would be, be justified to do it if he, if he really wants to. Yeah, there was that moment in the, in the first half, I think, against Newcastle when um, down in the Newcastle right-back position, I think it was, he, he charged down a clearance 
um, and and Arteta was like off the bench, cheering him up and cheering the crowd up, and clearly you trying to use that as a moment to to shift the, the momentum. So he's 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 been bigging up that part of Over's game this season. I I just think he's um he's not offering enough on the ball at all in in terms of hold up play, in terms of other of, of other stuff, and we've known that for a while that that's not his strongest suit. But as you say. Now it gets a bit exposed with the shape and system and style that Arsenal are playing. And I, I think the blunt way to put it is that at the moment you would think that if in a year's time Obama Yang is the undisputed number one striker at Arsenal, the first choice up there, something's probably gone a bit wrong in the, in the planning and the transfer market because, because he will be 33 and I'm sure he'll still have a role to play if he wants to play it. But you've got to be looking... A succession plan there and I've got no doubt they are they're not idiots at all but um you're going to be thinking is 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 he going to be the top pick one year from now and at the moment I've got to say I can't see it I just think there's there are so many reasons at the moment that it isn't working for him when you think he's your captain so you kind of have to get him in the team like Simon touched on we've seen several times now when he's asked about him in press conferences Mikel spoke absolute volumes about how well he's doing as a leader off the pitch. Something we always questioned, I think. You know, we see the cars and all that kind of stuff and wrongly just think, you know, he's only bothered about himself. Mikel will tell you completely the opposite. But also, he's sat on a, a contract. Does that matter? Probably not because Arteta didn't mind benching Ozil. Also, he used to play off the left quite a lot. Now you've got Smith-Rowe's emerged and that's clearly his best position. You can't drop a player like Smith-Rowe at the moment. So it's almost the only way you get Pamiang in that team is to play him at centre forward which is both a bad thing because the ball doesn't really stick to him it doesn't suit his natural game but also proof really last night with all due respect to Eddie Nketiah that there's no real backup option and Nketiah came on at Old Trafford last night as the second choice now as you said with Pamiang if Nketiah is there next year which doesn't look like he's going to be there's an issue isn't there and so this is a good time for me to say that I also predicted that they should sign Dominic Calvert-Lewin which we are now seeing start doing the rounds. And it, it is that kind of player that in this system suits that, that kind of role, isn't it? Aubameyang is, is not a, a back-to-goal striker, in my opinion. He also missed a couple of absolute sitters last night. I've said he's in my fantasy team, but we shall move on. Um, right, well, thanks to Nick and Simon. Um, enjoy another fine weekend of football, and I hope it isn't too cold where you are. I can confirm it is ooh, 32 degrees in Jeddah at the moment, but it has melted my advent calendar chocolate. Um, so it's not all good. Uh, take care, everybody, and we'll see you soon.